heavy, right? Hmm? There was part of me, when you have a dedication, <laughs> that was tempted to go, let's preach something else today. But I think the way God works and the way that His Word works, that it is relevant at all times, in all places, whatever it is that we come to. And I actually believe these words are incredibly relevant right now. Necessary is what I'm going to suggest today, but they're heavy and hard. And so I'm going to pray again, asking God that He might help me speak clearly and correctly and reveal to you all, I hope, what this passage has to say to us in this time and this place. So would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word, that all of it, that all of it is useful, even the heavy and hard bits. Please help us today to take a look at this story and learn the lesson from it, a lesson that every church needs to be reminded of. Help us to see just how much you long to see a church that is, well, a church of integrity. Help us to see how it is that you, not not wanting to, but needing to and desiring to, have this story in your word so that we today might be able to continue living out the wonderful picture of what the church should look like. Help us to be ready to, I guess, put the mirror of this story up to ourselves and be very honest with ourselves because we can be. And so thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and that today we will also celebrate communion together, being reminded that every single one of us can come to you broken. Every single one of us can come to you feeling like we don't belong or don't fit. Every single one of us doesn't need to be a liar before you because of what Jesus has done. And might that just ring true today for every single one of us as you look at your word. We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's quite the story, isn't it? But just before that, if you've been journeying with us through Acts, we've had some epic stuff happening And just before this story, there's another story that contrasts quite strongly. Because when the church is great, it is great. When the church is flourishing, it's a wonderful place to be in, isn't it? And and there seems like there's no perfect church except what we seem to see in Acts. And then we get stories like chapter 5 and we're reminded that there is no perfect church. When a church is pumping though, when it's going well, you see grace flows, you see belonging and blessing are happening and that's the picture that we've had of the early church up until this point. The church, everything is going great, there's unity, there's grace, there's proclamation, there's powerful things happening, there's care, everyone is of one mind, of one spirit, working together. That's what chapter 4, very end of chapter 4 says, verse 32, all together. Firing on all cinders, cooking with gas, whatever metaphor you want, it's happening. And we get this example of Barnabas. Barnabas, and this is why I'd love you to bring your Bibles, because it won't be up there, it's just going to be in front of you if you brought it. Barnabas, who actually his name, verse 36, was Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He sold the field and he brought all the money and put it at their feet, and he gets given this nickname. How good are nicknames? I like nicknames. Imagine having a nickname that is basically the person that you are, and it is son of encouragement. Everywhere Barnabas goes, he's encouraging people, and he fits this, excuse me, name. Nicknames. They often show that you're in, or they reveal who you are. I wonder, actually, very quickly, why don't you just, with the person next to you, share if you've ever had a nickname. Have you ever had a nickname? While you're doing that, I can, I'll throw out some of mine. 
No, I'll do it in a second, because I'd love to hear maybe some of yours too. And if you're online, maybe you could send in a little nickname. If they're rude, don't, don't say them too loud. <laughs> now, did anybody out there have someone share a nickname with them that they think is an absolute ripper, and maybe they should tell us? This could be fun. No one? No, I'll share... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crooked teeth. White Fang. Wow, hey, come on. Well, I've, I have a few. My last name's Hookem, so I used to get Hooks, Hooky Hooks, Hookem. Um, my first name, Brett, get Brettles. But they're, they're not really sort of the nicknames. I, with the soccer boys, I get Priest all the time, the Priest. I try and explain to them. It's a good opportunity. I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. Anyway. And then um, either the Raging Rev or Red Mist. So maybe that's one that you might not... Well, yeah. Sometimes I can go in a bit hard in tackles, and so they, um, they found that. But what more generally as Christians, what about hypocrite? Hmm, that changes the tone a bit, doesn't it? Hypocrite. Church was going great. It was right there that there was a big risk. And this is a devastating story, but it's a necessary story. You see, up until this point, we started to see there's some barriers from the outside, and they are risks... But actually, some of the most concerning things that can happen for a church are the issues that are within, the barrier from within for the gospel going forward. You see, today, this story is all about God protecting His church because we meet two people whose names, you know what Sapphire Sapphira might mean? Think of Sapphire, beautiful. And Ananias actually means God is gracious. They did not live up to their names, did they? These are some of the most confronting verses you will ever find in Scripture. It's tough. And I'm not here to explain them away. I don't think they give a bad view of God at all. But for the church, we need to face up to them. For the church, we need to grab a mirror today and make sure that these words actually confront us. Because sometimes, and more often than not, and more often than it should, hypocrite is a fairly good nickname, right? Ananias and Sapphira would become infamous. They're two names that we'll know, but for all the wrong reasons. Because what's the problem? Let's have a look. We're just going to step through the story, and at the end, I'm going to pull it together, I hope. Have a look. Verses 1 and 2 again. Have your Bibles open. The problem. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, notice they're doing this together, also, like Barnabas, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Property. Let's say the, these guys have just, they've, they've, they were lucky enough to buy in at the Ridgeway when it was at about a one a mil for a piece of land out there. And so they then sold it for a mil. So they've got this one million dollars. And they've said, we want to give it all like Barnabas. So we sell this thing and all the paperwork comes through. They get the money. And at the time where it comes to give it, they're like, yeah, but this money's good. Maybe we'll just give 75% and just keep back that 250k just for us. And so they come with their $750,000 and that's what they give. And we need to see at this point, this wasn't a slip of the pen on the checkbook, you know, just left off a no. It wasn't a moment of forgetfulness at the offering box. Oops, I've just happened to walk past. This was planned, this was thought out, this was purpose, this was pious pretense. This was faithful fraud. This was heroic spiritual hypocrisy because everybody knew they'd come and they were giving this whole piece of land, right? 
The problem is deception. The problem is hypocrisy. And I wonder how this would go down today. I wondered this. This passage has really torn me apart. See, as a leader, $750,000 is pretty good. Yeah? 750, 75%. And I know they're lying as they come and bring this to me. Sure, I know they're sinning, but who doesn't? Who doesn't lie? Who doesn't sin? And it may not be all in, but that could really help fund that future church plant that I want to do. Right up front, I just want to make sure you know, this is not about money today. This is so much broader. Money often sits at the root, or it reveals the root. And I'm not avoiding money talk. Very soon I'll talk again about how we have a budget deficit and we as a church need to give and we need to be committed to giving. But in a way, I want to make sure that this passage sits right in behind any bit of your generosity. I'm not wanting to avoid narrowing this point because this point needs to hit hard at the church at this point in history. I really do believe this. And personally, let me just say, this has caused me to think long and hard about the things I say and the things I do and, then, and even the words that I sing. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. All I have is yours, every single breath. We've already sung a word bit like that today, haven't we? These two are Christians. Ananias and Sapphira are Christians. Their salvation isn't on the line in this story. I want to make that very clear from the get-go. That's how I interpret it. There's only one way for that to be possible, and that is through Jesus, not by whether they come and give this stuff. This story isn't about that. It wouldn't fit, because it's a threat from within about how it is that the church functions. This is a Christian's sin, and we all do it. You see, it's confronted me that if this was the way that God was to judge His church today, there'd be nobody to drag the bodies out. That's the truth, isn't it? The problem is spiritual deception. And so, why is this story here? Because things were great. That's the whole point. It is so important that God protects the very nature of His church. He's saying, this is how church should be, and no, I don't want any of that in my church, because deception doesn't belong in the church, does it? It is devastating when it does. Let's have a look how the story plays out, because it is horrific. Verse 2, they put the money at the feet. We know but Peter sort of doesn't know at this point what's going to happen. Make it modern. Let's make it modern. Let's, let's, let's have a think about what this might look like today. At the end of the service, everybody comes down the front and the offering box is there and somebody boldly proclaims, I surrender all, yeah? And as they do, they pop it in and, the, and we know they've sold that property out at the Ridgeway and we presume that they've given it all. They've told us, we want to be able to do this and to bless the church. And then verse 3 happens. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. It was His, wasn't it? It was yours. But now you've used it in a way. You've planned, verse 3, these thing in your heart. That, that, that phrase could be translated that way, what made you think could be, you planned this thing in your heart. And so we see here how it plays out. You've got this, the Satan comes and fills their heart. Let me just correct this. This isn't saying that these guys are demon-possessed. It's a contrast to what happens when the Holy Spirit fills a person. They are generous in giving. Here, Satan has come and deceived them. 
but they have also planned it in their hearts. Verse 4, He has planned it. He is fully responsible at this point too. Why? Why would they do such a thing? We're not given the exact details, but we can speculate a little bit. Maybe it was to belong. They wanted to be a part of it. Don't we just want to be a part of this stuff and to be able to, to show that we are in? And that can happen with all sorts of different spiritual gifts, can't it, in particular churches? I remember when I was learning French in primary school, I just wanted to fit. I just wanted to actually know how to... And I had this cousin who actually was French. And he came around to my house and we were sitting at the table and I said, let's have a conversation in French. And so he started talking to me in French. I had no idea what he was saying. And my response was like, bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Je m'appelle, je m'appelle Brett. And I was convinced that I was convincing him that I actually knew what was going on in this conversation. I was pretending because I just wanted to be able to do it, to belong. Maybe it's because it was a bandwagon moment and they wanted to join on this revival thing. They, they believed it, but they maybe weren't willing to really jump in as much as they realized that they did. Maybe it was to be recognized. They wanted to be like Barnabas. They wanted that nickname to stick. Maybe it was they were seeking power. They wanted to be promoted. They wanted to go up the lines of leadership and so needed to show that they were super committed to this thing. Personally, I don't actually want to read them too negatively because it is hard to give it all, isn't it? And every single one of the people in this story is practically a brand new Christian. They're figuring it out. And so I think their motives are mixed. They got themselves caught and felt like they needed to deceive. They wanted to do this thing so much. They, they felt like they needed to manipulate. Maybe they just got in too deep. They'd sold it, had every intention, but then the pull was just too much and it made them liars. It made them planned deceivers who certainly weren't prepared for the consequences, were they? Because what happens? Well, people won't. And I hope the church doesn't. The church shouldn't forget Ananias and Sapphira. Hopefully, we don't forget the lesson. Because when Ananias, verse 5, heard this, he fell down dead. And great fear seized all who had who heard it, who heard, who had all who heard what had happened. Oof. When Ananias heard this, it says he breathed his last. You see, what happens here is God reveals what he thinks about this situation. He reveals what he... Because it's not Peter that kills him. It's not Peter that even judges him at this point. It's God, because he breathed his last. That phrase is used right throughout Acts to show a judgment of God upon a person. And the results? Great fear seized all the people. That's said a couple of times in this passage, isn't it? Great fear. And we're going to return to that. Because Ananias is not yet cold. After verse 6, you see that these guys have dragged him out, they've buried him. And who happens to come in? Well, verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, and this, this phrase, this line, it's haunting, isn't it? The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Deception and its cost. This is harsh, isn't it? This is too much. You can see why people would want to try to explain this passage away, right? It is devastating. But man, is it necessary for the church? Because what was their sin? This wasn't a casual deception. This wasn't accidental. Remember, this isn't a slip in the checkbook. This was calculated. This was public 
This was an attempt to show people how spiritual they were. Spiritual deception. is a, it's, it's showing that you have a deeper commitment than what is actually true on the inside. They wanted the nickname Mr. and Mrs. Beautifully Generous, didn't they? And they earned a devastating but necessary place in church history that all of us need to pay attention to. But you tell me as a people, particularly in the church, that we aren't prone to this as well. That we're not prone to the exact same sin. Tell me hypocrite don't fit at times. Because what this isn't is just other people's perception of them. This is them planned and seeking to reach it. That's what spiritual deception is. When we try and convince people we are more than what we are, more committed, more devoted, more prayerful, more giving, more passionate, more spiritual, more godly. And there are so many avenues you can take. You can take the highway, you can take the side streets or even the back alleys to get to this thing. Let me list the Christian classic hits for doing this. Prayer and promoting your prayer life. Bible reading and expressing what you're doing there. Attendance at church and making sure you just show up. Service. They're the sort of classic Christian hits, aren't they? And I know this pressure. I remember showing up even to staff meetings as a Christian pastor and having not really read my Bible for a week and the half an hour before going, crikey, I've got to pretend when I get in there to make sure that I actually have something that I've said that I've had God speak to me this week. I felt that pressure. Or when somebody says something horrific has happened in their lives and my text back is what? I'll pray for you. Because it's just a reaction and sometimes we don't, do we? Portraying and performing like we have it all together we don't really want people to, to see what's going on in, on the insides. It can create an illusion. With our generosity, we like to promote that we are generous with time, with our homes, with our money. <clears throat> but really, our wallet squeaks when we give, we groan when the people arrive, and we watch the watch and try and just long for that time to go by. We boast about what we've done in ministry and in service and the things that have happened in our church. We create expectations on others. You're not doing what it is that I'm sort of doing, just by the way we portray the way that we're living. And kids' church leaders can do this, can't they? Read your Bible, kids, but they have not opened theirs at all except to prepare that lesson. Here's how I do it, and you subtly tell them what maybe once was true. Youth group leaders who correct youth on their partying behavior without addressing or even acknowledging their own intoxication, be it with drunkenness, with desires, with gossip, the lot of it. Missionaries who call others to forsake the lusts of this world who are also acting upon their evil desires themselves. Preachers who promote self humbly, of course, from the pulpit. Powerfully calling on others to not be hypocrites who are unwilling to claim it themselves. Who is unwilling to claim it maybe himself. We are all like Ananias. Give us that nickname maybe, yeah? And none of us would escape, escape from this if we took this approach. You see, from the little alley right to the highway, we create a way of being a habit which forms church culture and it is devastating, guys. It is devastating. It is why we need this story because we haven't finished with the results because what happened? Great fear seized. What were the results of this? Great fear. Everybody went, wow, that is no way to be in the church. See, imagine this first... This, this is written like it's the first funeral in the church. Imagine being at that church. Imagine being at that funeral and hearing the story and what's happened. Our world needs this exact same story because our world needs churches to be places of integrity and that has been lacking for some time, has it not? This is how much God cared about the integrity of His church and of believers. That's why He did this in this moment. 
we have to own and know this story. It's actually a lot like a story that happened back in Joshua 7, where a bloke named Achan decided that he would hold and hide some of the devoted things that God said you not to have, and he hid them under his tent. And God showed in a moment where they're about to enter into the promised land, about to promote to the whole world what it means to be God's people, that is not how my people act. Because imagine, imagine I'm preaching and I lie, straight out lie about some of the things that I've done in the past, and somebody in here who's been from Nawego calls me out from the, from the crowd. This would be scary, wouldn't it? And I drop dead like that, breathe my last. What do you reckon happens to the churches around? You know, the autopsy comes back, there's no natural explanation for this, except for that person up there called him out for lying. Whew, there's this story in the Scriptures a bit like that, isn't there? Imagine what happens at Menai Anglican, down at Hope, at the Salvos. Great fear would seize. They'd be more authentic with one another, wouldn't they? They'd be places of integrity because they go, wow, God really cares about this stuff. We've got to stop kidding ourselves a bit. But we haven't finished with the results because what happens in verse 14? Nevertheless, after all this stuff happens, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. We are growing. Yeah, fear seized. Yes, people sort of... I don't know about this, but they also came to know and understand who Jesus was. We need churches like this that have integrity. See, this story is devastating on so many levels, but it is also necessary and we need to hear it today. And I just want to tease that out real quick. Because the pressure to belong, the pressure to perform can lead to lies and deception, can't it? But it doesn't have to. Imagine a church where it didn't have to. Why is this devastating? Well, This story didn't need to happen. They didn't need to do this. They didn't need to lie. Like imagine Mr. and Mrs. as much as they genuinely felt like they could give, showed up. Let me shorten that. Mr. and Mrs. honest truth. And they come, guys, we wanted wanted to give all of the the land that we were able to sell. Like we sold it and we got a good price and we're we're stoked on that. But we, we are weak and we don't... We, we are still weak in our faith. We don't know whether we can give it all and we feel like we need to just keep this back. But guys, here's what we can give. We genuinely believe this is all this. Please pray for us that we might grow in faith. Please, we long to be like Barnabas. We long to have that faith given to us. But, but here is what we can give. What would have happened? Peter probably would have turned them and said, Ananias, Sapphira, how have you been so filled with the Holy Spirit? how you are loved by the Lord Jesus, how you are loved by us. Praise God for your generosity. Thank you. And we hope and pray with you that you and we, that we grow in faith together. They'd probably be getting the tissues out. That's the truth. It is devastating when the church of Christ becomes the church of Christian culture and we feel like we have to perform. We feel like we have to do particular things just to belong. And I just want to encourage you guys, as men I as I come to know and understand this church a little bit more, one of the things I've witnessed, there is a genuine love and openness, particularly for people who are broken and struggling and that bit messy. But we are still prone to this, and so I'm going to preach it, all of us, to this public betrayal, but we don't need to, and I'll come back to that in a second, because why is this necessary? Well, because spiritual deception is devastating to God, because the very nature of church is at stake here, right? the very nature of what we do. And this is still true today. And two of the big risks are church culture itself, but then also you just jump outside and you go into the culture of this age, both of those things sort of work together like a jumper that has two different fabrics that you pull on each day and don't even notice. Because look at our world at the moment. 
There is a deception in many, many churches due to a lack of integrity and accountability right throughout, right? And I'm not going to go flaunting the failings of specific leaders and start naming them. You don't need me to. There's been enough of that happening in our media for ages. Many of us know the stories of lies and deception, financial stealing, sexual adultery that's been hidden even by the church, abusive leading and bullying behaviour that is happening behind the scenes, but we want to keep the public face all good, spiritually heaping unnecessary pressure, religiously ruling people to get the results that you want. It is devastating for us, the church, for them that don't know Jesus, for the church itself, and God is devastated by that behaviour, isn't He? Hypocrites, it does affect, doesn't it? It does disease. God doesn't want you and I to bear that name, and you don't have to. Consistently, right throughout scriptures, the Scriptures, the truth, God is a God of truth, and He wants to have a people who are a people of truth, and Jesus was clear on this too, wasn't He? False religious elitism is so contrary to His calling. His words in Matthew 23, He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people, uh, to be as righteous people, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You have not just, he could have said, you have not just lied to human beings, but to God, right? And it's not just leaders. We can trace it back to our own hearts, can't we? We very easily dress ourselves up we don't need to. Because we also have the cultural age, though, around us that makes this hard. And as I said, the two are kind of like blended like a jumper. And then from the Scriptures, we see that Satan tries to take hold of us too, the deceiver. We're called children of the deceiver in our flesh, and the world is a world of deception trying to mislead us. And culture is great. Look, do you think about the ads and what it is that we're educated in as we sit inside that house on that couch watching our televisions? that you need this product, this person, this diet, this practice that will change your life, sure, with a price tag attached. I um, searched for deceptive ads, and the thing that came up the most was the smoking ads of old. Some of you would remember them, right? I, I just thought I'd share a couple of them, because these are all very new to me. As your dentist, I would recommend Vickery's. A dentist recommending cigarettes, great. Nico Time cigarettes, the smooth taste expectant mothers crave. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. I'm glad they added others, because that would be a strange vision. But this is deeper than that. It's more about the vision of the world that you want to live in, right? That they're trying to sell you on, or the person that you need to be. From where you'd rather be, Corona. And man, some of those beaches look great. But it's bigger than that again. Because often it's, or who? Who you'd rather look like, be like, be with, feel like? deceived. And we're deceived by the the perfect picture of the perfect burger with the perfect picture of the perfect bun, or the perfect picture of the perfect woman with the perfect picture of the perfect buns. Photoshopped, skewed research, phony testimonials, right? Fake it till you make it, pretend and promote, and it starts to easily come inside of us too, right? I can tell you a story or two, and then I can tell you a story. Like, I scored an absolute scream yesterday, didn't I, Riley? 50 yards out, right? Give me five years, it'll be 50 yards out. It wasn't, it was just outside the box. But you can tell a story. 
And you just ask that person how big the fish was that they caught, yes? And if we get, we sometimes we don't even mean to, we get caught up in this and we feel like to belong and to promote, we need to do that stuff, we don't. What's devastating is the church does it, to bring outsiders in and to belong from within, right? We live in a culture of deceit, we swim in it daily, deception can become a habit and so we need a story like this to remind us it is devastating but it is a story that we need. Now I'm ready to tell you why it is so devastating that you don't need to do this because there will never be a perfect church this side of Christ's second coming. It will be messy, it will be broken, it will be unable to live to its calling and expectations in full and I say bring it on, let's do that but let's not settle then. I long for us to be a church that are believers who are one in heart, one in mind, committed to this mission, able to give, loving, caring, firing on full cylinders, but we're never going to have every cylinder going because we just can't. But for that even to be possible, we must remember, cultural Christianity, this cultural age, lies and deception, they will never save you and they will never fulfill you. None of us, not one of us, could offer anything could offer enough to save ourselves and we know that but come on we've got to live it too none of us could lie to God and convince him that we're going to and we don't need to it's why he came and died for his church it's why he shed his blood knowing full well that we are liars knowing full well that we are sinners knowing full well that we are hypocrites the perfect church is being perfected guys by the perfect blood of Christ so how great is it that we get to share communion in just a moment Because the perfect blood of Christ means you then get the presence of the Holy Spirit and that assures your pardon from the Heavenly Father, whether you're a liar or not. There is not a single person in this room who comes perfectly to Jesus. And so please, today, when you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, remember that. But every person who acknowledges Him is perfect in God's sight because of what that cup and what that bread represent, the perfect blood of Christ. So you don't have to pretend, hypocrite. You don't have to put on a false outer layer. You don't have to to live contradictory to what you believe. Own it because of Jesus. You can all come honestly to and offer whatever it is that you can because of the perfect blood of Jesus who gives you the presence of the Holy Spirit and means you have the pardon from the Heavenly Father. Let's be that church, please. And that might be messy. That might be difficult. But it won't be devastating. It'll be God glorifying and we'll see more and more people come to know and love and serve Jesus. I'm going to pray, I'm going to sing a song and I'm going to share in the Lord's Supper together. So let me pray. Father God, we do long to be the church that you have brought us to be. You paid the price with the perfect blood of Jesus and we are so thankful for that. Please help us to know and to know for certain that we don't have to lie, that we don't have to come to you trying to pretend, that we don't have to pretend with others, but instead we just have to fall at your feet and say, we need you. We need you, Jesus. Thank you so much for the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his perfect body. He was the one who did live the perfect life. And thank you that we as the church get to remember that in just a moment, to retrain our minds to retrain our bodies, to help us to be the church that you've called us to be. And we pray this in the powerful name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.